This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to be right here in this place as we talk about music. Our Father in Heaven, thank you for this awesome group of people that have gathered here, young people that want to write the music of heaven. And Lord, as we talk about this subject that is so exciting to all of us here, I just ask that you would come and your presence would be here, and that you would teach us, and that the, the words that are spoken will be your words, and that your ideas will be given. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm truly grateful to see so many of you here, and I hope that that means that there are so many musicians in the Adventist church that want to learn how to write better music. How many of you have never sang a note in your life or never played a note on an instrument ever before? Please raise your hand. Yes, okay, we're all musicians and we can begin. Let's do it, okay. Um, The first thing we're going to talk about today First question I want to ask you is, what is music? And really quick, I've got to type in Caleb's password, which is really long and awkward, so give me a second. Um, okay. Yes, okay, good. Um, thank you for bearing with me. So, um, the first question... First thing we're going to talk about is what is music. But before we even ask that question, I'm going to tell you a little bit. Oh, I can't step in front of there. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself so that you get an idea of who you're going to be listening to. Because you have to take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt. So I'm going to give you that grain of salt to take what I'm going to say with. Okay, and that is when I was probably two years old, the first song I could ever sing was The Star Spangled Banner. And that was because Dad was American and we grew up in Canada. And he made sure that his son, even though he was in a foreign country, foreign being Canada, that he knew the national anthem. So the first song I ever could sing was the national anthem, and I, and I still know it. So, yeah. I also know the Canadian anthem. I want you to know that, too. I'm very Canadian, so that's just a little thing. But anyways, when I was four, I got my first violin, and I began violin lessons. And I've played violin ever since. I continue to play the violin where I work, and it's, I love playing the violin. It's super awesome. Um, probably when I was about eight, I remember we were going on a road trip one time with my family. And <laughs> there's different ways to pass the time during road trips, and nowadays with the advent of the phone and the tablet, it's become pretty interesting. But back in the day when I was young, uh, we would take blank pieces of lined paper draw staffs on them, my brother and I, in the back seat of the car, and we would write songs. I'm not even kidding you, and it would be just nonsense songs. So notes would go everywhere, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, and when we would stop to get fuel, Dad would sing the songs back to us, and it was, we just thought it was the most hilarious thing, and we'd try and write stuff that was too hard for him to sing, we'd try and write stuff that was too fast, but the truth is, that was where a desire to write music and an interest in music writing and music Really, it, it started to show. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I, my dad worked at Fountain View Academy for many, many years. And he, in the music department there, he had students writing orchestrations for him. And one day I thought, my grandma gave me an old computer, and I thought, man, you know what? I could put Finale, the music writing program, on my computer. Maybe I could write an arrangement. 
So I snagged down to the office, I grabbed it off the shelf, I went home, I put it on my computer, and I started writing arrangement. And I wrote, um, oh man, what is it now? I, I wrote a, a hymn. I arranged a hymn for orchestra and uh, ladies' trio. And I called my dad about two weeks later, and I said, Dad, ch come check this out. He came into my room and listened to it, and he was like, whoa, what in the world's going on here? He said, why don't you come down to the office and like, do it for real, not in, in your bedroom, you know? So I came down to the office, I got onto the computer and I started writing arrangements. And from then on, I've been writing, I've probably written, I've tried to count it up, probably around 22 arrangements for full orchestra and choir so far from then. Not orchestra and choir, orchestra and different vocal arrangements, quartet, trio. And so that event, that, that kind of opportunity, I guess you could call it, led me to, after I graduated from high school and after I went to college, I got a job working with my dad at Great Lakes Adventist Academy in Michigan. And that's where I live now, and that's where I work. And up there, we, up there, you know, in Michigan, it's kind of far up north. Uh, we, um, we have an orchestra and a choir there, and I have the privilege of teaching symphony there every day. It's, I absolutely love it. During the day, I write the arrangements that we work with. We do recordings of our group, and we video it. It's super, super fun, and I absolutely love my job. And so that's why this seminar, to me, is super, super fun, because this is exactly what I do all day long, and I get to talk to you about it, and hopefully you guys are interested in it like I am. And if that's the case, we're going to get somewhere today. So to our question, what is music? Anybody want to volunteer a, an answer to this simple question? What is music? Nobody? Come on, someone's got to have an answer. Harmonious sounds that please the ear. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, does anybody disagree with that answer? I hope someone does. <laughs> Nobody disagrees. Anybody have a different idea? Okay. Music was not always harmonious. What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate just a little bit on that? It doesn't have harmony. Okay, okay, good point, good point. Anybody else want to guess? It can be strident and it can be ugly and it can be delicophonical and stuff like that. Okay, so music can be strident and ugly. Okay, is that really music though? I don't know. Is it? Well, what about this? What about, you know, here that is a tree falling in the middle of the forest really sound? Well, is a tree falling in the middle of the forest music, even if you can't hear it? <laughs> Is it music? What about a big block V8 revving? Is that music? I think so. I think big block V8. That's awesome, okay? But is it music? What is music? Anyway, it's like we have, look, the reason I'm talking about this is because if we don't know what music is, how can we write music? How, do you, how, do you, how can you write something you have no idea what it is? And it's obvious to me that we have some idea what it is. I'm not saying we don't know what it is. But what about... What about um, just two notes in a row? Is that a song? Now here's the thing, if I do three notes, or four notes, what goes next? Little star, exactly, okay? And so it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to get the mind on a song. So is two notes a song? These are the kind of things we're going to talk about because it's interesting how little of how little of music is music, right? Now, another question I have is, what is good music? Godly music. Okay. Any other ventures? 
Yes. I think music is a, a way to communicate a message into a deeper level. Uh, like, I just how I look at it. Yep. Okay. Now, could I adventure that you could connect with people in a non-superficial way negatively? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So when we talk about good music, we have a problem because this word good, I have a problem with it at least. When people are like, oh, is that good music? I'm like, no, you're asking the wrong question. Good music is super, super, super ambiguous because I could ask you what's good and I could ask you what's good and it'd be two different things because good is a relative term and it's in this relative term we're trying to describe to a word good music that is we're trying to use the word good to describe something that we're having a hard time even describing in and of itself you see what i'm saying so there's obviously this what is good music that's a difficult question to ask so maybe the question isn't what is good music what if we ask the question what do you ask going to burn that up why are you writing music Okay, why are you doing music? Because I believe if we can figure out why you're writing music, then you can figure out what is good music and what kind of music to write. Okay, check out this quote. I'm not sure if, I, yeah, I do have it. Success in, on, in any line demands a definite aim. Okay, and I think this applies to music too. We need to have a definite aim of why you're writing music to have success in writing music. Does that make sense? Okay. So, for me, the reason I write music is because I want to honor and glorify God with my music and I want people to be drawn to him, to music. There are lots and lots and lots of reasons to write music. You could write music if you want to become really popular. And then you're going to write different music to do that. Okay? Take, take for instance, there's, there's a lot of, of hymns in the hymnal that people don't really sing very often but they have some profound truths in them. If you read the poetry, you're like, what in the world, why don't we sing this more? Well, it's because it's not a, it's not a, it is not a very universal song, not everybody wants to sing it, and so it just gets hidden away. Well, that person probably wasn't writing that song to be world famous. They were writing that song because it had a message, and that's my point, if we have a message to write about, then it's gonna determine how we write our song, and I'm just warning you right off the bat, it may not be a million view song on YouTube or whatever. Okay, you see what I'm saying? So we have to remember why we're writing music. Now, like Caleb said in his first seminar, we're, we're writing music and we're singing music because Jesus loves us. He told the story of a little girl that he asked why she was singing. And she said, because I'm singing for Jesus because he loves me. Silly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, snap. Like, that's why she's singing music. She knew why she was singing music. So what, do we know what we're singing about? Let's remember this verse here. I'm just going to read Revelation 12, 9. And a great dragon, that is Satan, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Why do I bring this up? Well, we know from Genesis that Satan wasted absolutely no time in starting his work of deceiving once he got to the earth, right? Like, it was right off the bat. But check out this quote. I don't know if I put it on the screen. Yes, I did. Here it is. The angels joyfully acknowledged the supremacy of Christ, and prostrating themselves before him, poured out their love and adoration. Now, pause. This is in the context of Lucifer's rebellion in heaven. He has rebellious thoughts in his head. God gathers the whole angelic host together, and he's like, wait, let's have a meeting. And this is what's happening, okay? Lucifer bowed with the angels, but in his heart there was a strange, fierce conflict. Truth, justice, loyalty were struggling against envy and jealousy. 
The influence of the holy angels seemed far for a time to carry him with them as songs of praise ascended in melodious strains, swelled by thousands of glad voices, the spirit of evil seemed vanquished. Unutterable love thrilled his entire being. His soul went out in harmony with the sinless worshipers, in love to the Father and the Son. This is Satan, guys. This is his rebellious heart, is going out in love and adoration to God. Why? Because music is being sung by all of heaven. To me, that freaks me out personally, because guess what? We are on this earth, Satan's on the earth, he's the deceiver, he knows exactly what the power of music can do, and he's not stupid. So just be careful, guys. When we're going out to write a song, guess who's going to be there looking over your shoulder, unless you ask God to be with you while you write, okay? I'm not just using scare tactics, I'm just saying, this guy knows what music, what good music is like, he knows what bad music's like, and he's out to get us to write bad music. That's just the simple truth. So what's, what's the solution? What's the solution to this problem? There's an awesome chorus, a hymn, that we all know very well, and I think it gives answer very beautifully. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We all know this song. And this, yeah, it has such a powerful truth. Look, turn your eyes to Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. That is the simple answer. I'm going to read a quote Ellen White says in First Selected Messages. Christ is our example. By beholding him, we are to be changed into his image from glory to glory, from character to character. This is our work. God help us rightly represent the Savior to the world. And that's what we're doing with music. We're representing, if we write Christian music, we're representing Christ to the world. And it's a sacred work that we're doing, okay? Um... Luke says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a big, music is an, is, the, is an expression of the heart. Writing music is the expression of your heart. It simply is. And if your heart is in tune with God, I believe that the words and the music you write will also be heavenly music, okay? I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, because one time... When we used to work at Fountain View, we were doing a concert with It Is Written in Alberta. And we were doing a seminar, or a series of meetings with John Bradshaw on Revelation. And they invited us to come and do music with them every night. So every night we'd do music with, um, with, for John Bradshaw and with Charles Hogabrooks there. It was kind of fun. He's a crazy guy if you know it, Charles Hogabrooks. But man, he's a, he's a case to work with. It's really fun. But anyways, um, we... There was a song that Dad wanted to, to do for the seminar, or for the meetings, excuse me, and that song was Victory in Jesus. And we had a, a, um, an arrangement of it that we kind of liked, but we didn't have music to it, so Dad was like, why don't you write this for me, James, and we'd like to, I'd like to play this. So on the way there, I, I arranged the song out, and we printed it when we got to the church, practiced it that night, and the next night we performed it. And it was a really fun song. Like, one of my classmates to this day, they tell me, like, that was the most fun I've ever had playing the bass because it was a very, very upbeat song. And, but the problem was, is at the, at the end of the, um, at the end of the meetings, we do this song every, every time at the end of meetings, and I remember near the end of the session, people would start clapping with the music and waving their arms in the air. And that's not wrong in and of itself, but the problem was that wasn't what we were trying to do with our music. And so when you start getting people clapping to the rhythm of the music, waving their arms in the air, if that's not what you're trying to do with your music, then you are not doing the right kind of music. It's really simple. And that's why it goes back to why you're writing music. Because if you're writing music to make people get excited about your music and start dancing around and, and on fire about music, 
then you need to write and play music like that because that's what's going to happen. Music has effects. It's simple as that. So when we go back to the next year to try and decide you know, what music we were doing, we chose not to do that song because it didn't produce the results that we were looking for in what we are doing. And I tell you that not because I'm like proud of that. I'm actually quite sorry that we did that song, and I wish we hadn't in the past. But, but you learn from your mistakes, and I'm sharing this because I want you to know that your music has a choice on the effects of people that listen to it. And it's the same when we write music. So we can choose what kind of music we create for people to use, you know what I mean? And even ourselves in writing. So as we start getting into the mechanics of songwriting, I'm going to play a video of this guy. And you may have seen this video, but he seems to have figured out how to write a song. And I'm going to play it for you now. And we'll see if we can get a little idea of what he's going about. Um, Oh man, I should have looked at this earlier, but it looks like I need to change my audio. One second. Okay. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Blind Me Count tutorial on how to write a worship song in five minutes or less. First off, chord progression. Now look, every good worship song only needs four chords. You can add an extra one in the bridge if you're feeling especially artistic, but you really only need just four. Just make sure that you play it really loud and that you have a lot of delay on the lead guitar. And if you're stuck on a chord progression, just try the classic first, fifth, minor sixth, fourth. If this terminology seems foreign to you, don't worry, we're sure you've heard it before. sound familiar. Oh, and if you want your song to sound a little less uplifting and a little more convicting, try my next favorite, minor 6th, 4th, 1st, 5th. They'll never see it coming. Now that we've got the music down, we need some praiseworthy lyrics. Now the lyrics don't need to be deep, they just need to be easy enough so that people can remember them by the second time they get to the chorus. Otherwise, the worship leader is gonna be up there belting out tunes while everyone else is like, By the way, your song needs to rhyme too. Now don't get overwhelmed, I've got some worship song essentials right here. We'll start with an easy one. Hallelujah rhymes with hallelujah. This particular word is lots of fun because it's allowed to be repeated as many times as you want in the song and there's no specific rules for its usage. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Be creative, you know, sing a few syllables a couple times first before finishing with a powerful yah. <laughs> And here's some other easy rhymes to get you started. Sing rhymes with king. Perfect love rhymes with always enough. Praise rhymes with days and grace. Heaven's gate rhymes with this place. And fire rhymes with desire. Oh, and don't forget that one thing in your song should always be on fire. Be it our hearts, our souls, this generation, just something needs to be in flames. And if you're suffering from severe writer's block, just remember that it's perfectly fine to throw in a couple of lines from Amazing Grace just to add some archaic flair. Okay, so we've got the chords, we've got the music. Now all we need is the riff. The riff is the set of notes that makes your worship song sound awesome. To create your riff, find your root chord in a D major shape on the guitar. And now it's easy, just move your pinky up and down. Try strumming it as a whole, or play it broken with some delay, and boom! 
Your song is officially cool. Oh, last tip. If you want your song to be youth conference ready, you can't forget the woes. All right, I think this thing is ready. Let's go test it out. Good morning, everybody. It's time to worship God, okay? Here we go. Sing along if you know it. Okay. Okay. I absolutely love this video for one reason, and that is because it is absolutely diabolically satirical about a serious problem in our church, okay? This, I just want to make it really clear, okay? I don't want anybody to go from this room thinking that's how I think you should write a song, okay? I do not, okay? And we're going to look at a little bit, you'll see by the end why, I hope, and we're going to look at some ways that I think we should write music, okay? And as we get into... As we get into more of this session, I want to just make a disclaimer really quick, and that is that these are my ideas, okay? I think they're good ideas, that's why I'm going to share them with you, but they're not the end stop, and I don't want you to go from this thinking, yes, I, sh I can go write the next Amazing Grace, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that these are some serious principles that you should use in your music writing, in your music arranging, and in your musical career, okay? So the guy had three main points that he, that he, um, three qualities of his song that he said. That was chord progression first, lyrics, and then the riff, okay? I've kind of rearranged those into strong rhyming lyrics, complementary melody line, and strong chord progression, okay? Um, those aren't exactly what he said, but he did actually have a point, and there are those three, those things that he said were basics, but he had some, yeah, it was just different, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to start with the strong rhyming lyrics, okay? Well, when we talk about lyrics and, and the, the poetry, what do you think is more important in a song, the music or the words? Okay, someone says they're equal. Anybody else? Words, okay, good. Anybody else? Words. Okay, the music. Okay, why do you say the music? Who said the music? All right, why do you say music? Music is a language we can only speak subconsciously. I disagree. I'm sorry. But, 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 I, I appreciate what you said because look at this. Music, music attaches to our subconscious, okay? It takes conscious effort to make music. That how, that's what I'm saying, okay? So, and maybe that's not what you meant, but I would like to bring that out because what he said is serious, is that music goes beyond our conscious and it can affect our subconscious, which is powerful and also scary, and that's like the deceiver knows that, okay? I believe the words are more important than music, and I believe they should come first in writing a song. And the reason I say this is because, and you'll see by the time we get through, how much the the word or the music is affected by the lyrics of your song. Um, a big pet peeve of mine. The first thing we're going to look at is is rhyme. A big pet peeve of mine, though, is when people say when when lyric and poems and lyrics don't rhyme. And <laughs> I remember in English eleven in high school. Oh man, when we went got to the poetry section of English, I really had a little part of me died because we would be reading this, these poems, and they're supposed to be poems, and I always thought poems were supposed to rhyme, but apparently not, because they didn't. And there's some very famous poetry, and listen, I'm not 
not here to bash poetry that doesn't rhyme. You understand that. There's some very, very good poetry that doesn't rhyme. But in general, I, I don't prefer that because, and there's reasons for that. Rhyme has power. Rhyme scientifically puts the mind at ease. Okay, when, when, a, when a stanza rhymes, it improves mem memory recall, me rhyme does. And that's important to me because when you're writing words, you kind of want them to come to mind later on. You know, you want people to be able to remember the message you're giving. And rhyme helps that. It makes the lyrics stronger, the word stronger that ends in a rhyme. When, it, when a phrase ends with a rhyme, that rhyming word, because the, the mind is satisfied with the rhyme and, the, and the, the conclusion of the rhyme, it actually makes that word more powerful. So these are a few reasons why I think rhyme is important in our lyrics. And I'm just going to give an example. Here's one of my, one of my favorite songs that is a, I think is a great example of rhyme. There is a river, and it flows from deep within. There is a fountain that frees the soul from sin. Come to this water. There is a vast supply. There is a river that never shall run dry. Okay? It's a very simple idea, but a very powerful in the way that the two stanzas end with the rhyme. And if you want to hear this song, you should come tonight because we're going to sing it tonight. I think you'll like that. Okay, just a little plug. I can't help it, sorry. Um, one of my favorite tools is thesaurus.com for rhyming. And it's not the only one, but I'll tell you why it's my favorite. Because when you're writing, my suggestion with, with writing lyrics is to write your idea out first. Do not think about stanzas, lines, rhythm, anything. Just write the idea out, then organize it into stanza form. Okay, and then, w then what you do is you start looking at your words and you say, okay, I need a word that rhymes, right? But you, do, you don't want to change the, the content of what you're saying. And thesaurus.com gives you many words that mean the same thing, but are different words. And so you, what I like to do is go through a bunch of words that mean the same thing as a word that I was using and find ones that rhyme. You can even choose how many syllables a word has. Another one, I didn't put it up on the screen, but rhymezone.com is an excellent resource for rhyming lyrics. You can put in a word there and it gives you many words that rhyme with it, and that's helpful too. So these are just some ways that you can, you can put rhyme in, but I would like to, to, to point out that it doesn't have to rhyme, and there are times where I've seen composers purposely not rhyme the end of a phrase, because what happens is when you don't rhyme something, if you have been rhyming continually through your stanza and then boom, a word doesn't rhyme, your mind's going to be like, whoa, what happened there? And so if you, and I want to be careful with this because I don't want you to go writing your next song and it's like, do, 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 and it like doesn't rhyme at the very end. That's not the point. But if a word, you want it to stand out and the word is not, not, um, I don't know, there's some words that just, I wish I had an example of this. I really should have got an example. But the thing is, is when you don't rhyme, it creates unrest, and therefore your body wants something to resolve that. And so if you have been rhyming, you don't rhyme, and then you do rhyme, it puts power on that one that doesn't rhyme, and even more power on the one that does, because it creates a resolution to your body. It's crazy how our bodies work with this. The next aspect to, to, to um, lyrics that I would like to bring out is meter. And meter is the... the um, the flow of the poem, and this, the last song, There's a River, that I put up, it didn't have a very strong meter, but it did have a rhyme. I'm going to put one up that we've probably have been singing a lot recently. Oh, before we move on, the less words, the better. 
This is another thing with thesaurus.com is you can find words that mean the same thing as even phrases, and you can really condense. That's one of the beauties of poetry is poetry versus an essay. You can say almost the same thing you want in a poem as you do in a six-page essay if you're careful about it because poetry is just packed full of stuff. And so it's dangerous. It's hard to do well, but it's super powerful, and, and the, I would encourage you to think of how you can condense what you're saying and not be so wordy because wordy songs they don't go places because they're just wordy. If you say what you're going to say in a concise form with nice word, with nice music to it, it's powerful, okay? So this is another one that has a good meter to it. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. You can feel the lilt to it, and it has a rhythm to it, and that's easier to put, a, to put a melody to because it has a consistent rhythm, okay? So these are things that, that um, you can use to make your lyrics not only more powerful to the audience, but easier to write music to. Um, even more importantly than strong rhyme and meter, though, is that your words actually say something. This video that we watched, he said something in there was really interesting. He said, your words don't have to be deep. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? I don't agree with that at all. When he's saying just throw in hallelujah as many times as you want, no, don't do that. That's not music. That's just saying, ha don't get me wrong, hallelujah is important. Okay, we can praise God with our music, amen? We need to praise God with our music, but hallelujah five times in a chorus, that's not praising God with our music. That's just being obnoxious. Like that's, nobody wants to sit around and hear that. I'm just being, that's, that's just what I'm saying, okay? There's a profound quote that says, those who stand for nothing fall for anything. This is a hard thing in writing music, okay? Because it's not popular to write lyrics and write songs that have deep, convicting spiritual truths. It, it really isn't, honestly. In fact, it's one of the reasons your song will probably not become as famous as you might want it to. But I will say here, if God wants your song to reach millions of people, he is all-powerful and he will do that, okay? And I'm not saying that if you, oh, if you're going to write something that's really good, it's not going to go anywhere. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying because it's, it has solid spiritual truths, it makes it naturally that the world does not cling to that because the, the, mind, the carnal mind wants carnal things. The spiritual mind wants spiritual things, but by the grace of God, our spiritual songs can attract the carnal mind and make them think twice about what their lives are like and what the, lyrics, the music that we're talking about has to speak. Let's do, I want to play a video here that's really kind of disturbing to me. And it shows why this, what I'm talking about is such a big deal. So I'm just going to play this for you. and It's kind of self-explanatory. Have you ever asked yourself, why is there such a steady decline of the use of the church hymnal in your local churches? And in their place, you have praise teams popping up that are basically singing generic, theologically neutral praise songs. It's all a part of what they call the ecumenicism of music. Listen closely now to my one-on-one -on -one interview with the chairperson of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. I have uh, Mr. Johnny Bertucci, Bertucci here with me. Could you tell them um, 
Uh, my name is Johnny Bertucci. I'm chairman of the National Service Committee for the Catholic Charismatic Renewal in the United States. Uh, here at Kairos um, 2017 uh, ecumenical conference with um, leaders from all denominations and all streams of, uh, of Christianity um, just to uh, fellowship to uh, celebrate the you know, ecumenical movements uh, within the United States. Okay. And um, there was a statement that you made on the panel. I thought it was pretty profound towards the end. And you said something about um, ecumenicism of music. Can we, you talk uh, about that a little bit? Sure. We, um, you know, one of the, the things that we can do, even though we're from different denominations or, you know, different faith traditions, is um, the music we sing. Um, uh, you know, in my house, uh, you know, we have Bethel music, we have uh, International House of Prayer music, uh, we have music from all different streams playing. Hillsong. Hillsong, you know, um, absolutely. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the ways that we can be united, one of the ways that we can start breaking down walls and, and being um, in relationship with people of other faiths is through the music we sing and getting together and worshiping the Lord through that music, worshiping the Lord, um, you know, who, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is our Lord and we worship Him through that music. And that, yeah. and that itself begins to build bridges for and that ecumenical absolutely, union. Absolutely, absolutely. Once you uh, worship the Lord together, um, no matter what faith tradition you are, those bonds start getting set. The Holy Spirit is the unifier, Satan is the divider. The more we can be united, the more the Holy Spirit enters into our heart, the more united we can be. And there you have it. Through the avenue of the ecumenicism of music, it has been the studied design of Satan himself to execute with remarkable precision this insidious agenda to build some type of bridge of fellowship by which all Abrahamic systems of faith can be united. I mean, think about it. If you can get the Pentecostals singing the same songs that the Baptists are singing, and the Baptists are now singing the same songs that the Church of Christ is singing, and the Church of Christ is singing the same songs that the Jews for Jesus are singing, and the Jews for Jesus are singing the same songs that the Seventh-day Adventists are singing, and the Seventh-day Adventists are singing the same songs that the Catholic Charismatics are singing, then why can't they all just sit down around the campfire and sing Kumbaya together? Praise the Lord for this guy, amen? He, he went to this, he's a Seventh-day Adventist, and he went to this conference two, two months ago. And that man he interviewed is, like he said, he's the president of the Charismatic Catholic Renewal, Renewal in the U.S. And they're having a meeting, and like it said, this idea of music is not some random thing. This is like a planned out deal by some big people. And I'm afraid this is exactly what's killing music in our churches today. And it's hard because this is not an easy thing to think about, to talk about, because we like to think that because we're Adventists, we're doing the right thing. But not every Adventist church, how do I say that? You know what I mean. It's not universal to sing the hymnal. It just isn't anymore. And the thing, the thing about this is that if you're going to sing a song universally, you cannot have any absolute doctrine in it. Because then how can the Methodists sing a song that Adventists sing if it has 
if it has doctrine of salvation by faith. Because some people, the Methodists, don't exactly follow that all the way. And how can we... The thing is, what happens is really, what this boils down to is that the, this kind of music is really Catholic in the very sense of it. Check it out. This is the definition of Catholic. I'm not even kidding you. Broad and wide-ranging in tastes, interests, or the like, having sympathies with all broad-minded liberal. Okay? Catholic has sigma attached to the church, but Catholic means broad-minded. I mean, how better could you describe praise music today and CCM? It's exactly that. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. And the problem is, I'm not here to dash and bash CCM. You understand that, I hope. But there is a lot of CCM that could use bashing and dashing, okay? It does not need to be sung when it doesn't say anything that anybody else would have a problem with. By nature, our music should say stuff in it that other people of other faiths wouldn't feel uncomfortable singing in their churches. And I don't mean that because we're stuck up and we have to be, like, different. No, it's because our music, if you're writing music of heaven and you're writing the music because you want to glorify God, it will be Christ-like and Christ is, well, let's just put it this way, other churches don't want the full truth in their church. It's just simple as that. And if your music is full truth, it's not going to be welcome there. And the thing with this kind of music is that it is welcome there, and so therefore it naturally, I mean, I don't even have to tell you, you, the natural conclusion is that it doesn't have, it doesn't have backbone of, it doesn't have doctrinal backbone in it. We all want our music to be successful, right, and stand out. At least I do. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I want my music to go, every, like, go far and big. But my suggestion to you today to think about is that by standing up for something in your song, it'll make your song actually stand out. And it may not be the way you want it to be standing out, but I believe that's the way God wants your music to stand out, if, if you stand up for something in your song. Let me give you an example of some very bold and powerful lyrics, something that I think is absolutely anti-Catholic and in the sense of its word, and I think it actually is anti-Catholic in, in the other sense of the word. But it says, By the light of burning martyrs, Christ, thy bleeding feet we track. Toiling up new Calvaries ever with a cross that turns not back. New occasions teach new duties. Ancient values test our youth. They must upward still and onward who would keep abreast of truth. That is packed. That is packed. I love this song so much. Check out this last, last two lines. They must upward still and onward. This is talking about the youth and talking about the Christian. We're, we must keep upward and onward if we're going to keep abreast with truth. If we're going to keep up with truth, we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep pressing on. And this is the same thing in our writing our music. You can't sit back and just write some la da song if you're going to keep abreast with truth. Truth is marching on, like the awesome battle hymn says. And I believe that we, if we're going to write good music that honors and glorifies God, we're going to have to keep pressing on too because you can't just sit here and write music and expect your music to be keeping up with truth because truth is marching on. Now, we, I know you're here to write music, not write a good poem, so we're going to start talking about the actual music part of it, but I think it's important, like we've talked about, that a, our song starts with a solid poem and some solid words, because, and, but I will, I'm going to stop here and make a little aside, and that is, there is powerful instrumental music. You may be thinking, oh, James, I don't write poems. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really <laughs> like writing poems either. I'd much prefer to write the, the music 
But um, instrumental music is interesting because it's, it can speak without words. And it's, it's powerful in and of itself. And I want you to be encouraged if you feel like you want to write instrumental stuff. The, some of these principles that we're going to talk about apply. And you can even have, have a, lot of, um, a lot of music that's just instrumental will have text that goes along with it. I don't know if you knew, but Vivaldi's Four Seasons, he has text that's written at the top of each of his, of his movements. And it, you know, it talks about winter, the, the, um, one of the winter movements. Um, I, I played it many years ago, but it has the violin solo and the strings are plucking. Well, the text that goes with that is sitting in front of a, of a warm campfire in, during the winter, well, where, where Vivaldi was when he wrote winter, it was not in a place that had snow. It was just, it would rain during the winter, kind of like London, you know, just, it, there's different places where it doesn't snow, and so you get that feel through his music. But my point is, music does not have to have words, but I will put out there that if you kind of, if you want to have a, a good impact on your audience, the words can speak volumes. I mean, it goes without saying, words speak, but, but the words along with the music, the music becomes a ship that carries your lyrics into the mind, into the heart, where you can't go by speaking because your mind is automatically closed. It has a filter on it. And even when I'm speaking to you, especially as soon as I bring up something controversial, your mind goes, wait, wait, I got I to gotta think about this. Like, this is, this, is, this is something I'm uncomfortable with. If you're uncomfortable with something, boom, your guard goes up and you will not actually get everything that I say because it'll go through a filter of what you want to hear. And I'm not, that's not bad. That's, that happens to me. That happens to everyone. But the thing about music is it takes your lyrics that you want to say, it takes the vessel, goes into your mind, and not being creepy, but it bypasses a lot of that and it goes right in and the music and the words, excuse me, by the means of the music can penetrate the mind so much deeper. And that's why music is super, super awesome and super, super powerful because we have a way of getting into people's minds and a way of influencing people like nothing else. And I mean, I grew up doing musical concerts all my life and I can see it time and time again. People by the, you can see them come in and they're kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna hear some nice music today, you know, and, they, and they're, people come to concerts for different reasons. You know, oh, I'm going to take my wife out to the concert, my girlfriend, whatever, have a nice evening together. Or you can come because it's like Sabbath evening, Vespers concert. I'm going to, you know, close the Sabbath together with my family. And for whatever reason, they come, and you can see them kind of stoical. But by the end of the concert, every time, every time, at least five people came, at least five people have a completely different reason for being there. And if you were to do another concert, they'd be there for a lot of different reasons. And that, to me, speaks volumes of why we do this, is because we're, we're coming to do music to save souls. And if we can speak messages of truth to their hearts and change their way of thinking, it's super powerful. So when we talk about, talk about melody, melody in and of itself, by definition, must be, must be complementary to the lyrics. When we talk about we're going to go on to complementary melody, line number two here. And the first thing is lyrics influence the melody. And that's why we started out talking about lyrics, and we went so into depth, because once we have a good lyric line, then we can write a melody to that, and the, and the, the melody will follow the lyrics. I'm going to play oh, one second. That's not supposed to look like that. It's supposed to look like that. OK, can you still see this score somewhat? I'm going to try and make this a little bit bigger. 
This is, oh dear, look at that, it's upset. There we go, okay. This is an excerpt from Handel's Messiah. Okay, it's um, Every Valley, the tenor aria. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play this for you and I want you to follow along the music because this is one of the most vivid examples of what I'm talking about that I can find. And basically what I want you to watch is how the words that he's singing directly influence the way that the, um, that the melody goes. I'm just going to point out a couple things before we play the song so you can be listening to it as we go. Um, you notice the very first thing, it does, and every mountain and hill made low. Basically, it goes up like a mountain, and then hill, it's kind of smooth, and it goes down for low. And hill made low, okay? And then the crooked straight. It's crazy, like, it's so vivid. I'm just gonna play, you don't wanna hear me sing, I'll just play this guy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like that is, when I, when I first saw that was when I was doing theory class and I was like, what, this is crazy. Now, if you may be like, oh James, I don't really like opera. Well, okay, that's fine. You don't have to like opera. Oh, sorry. You don't have to like opera to get to use this principle in your music writing. For instance, um, shall we gather up the river? There's a phrase in there, the beautiful, the beautiful river. That phrase there, it's kind of like a winding river I don't know if you never noticed that before, but the beautiful, the beautiful river. Again, um, love lifted me. The word lifted goes up. Why? Love lifted me. Why? Why would you sing love lifted me? Like that doesn't even make any sense. It, we laugh at it. We laugh at it because it just doesn't make any sense. But someone thought of that when they wrote that. At least, yeah, I hope they did. Because if they didn't, that was really genius. But the point is, is that the words in the song should have a direct influence upon what you write because it matters, it matters, okay? Melody follows the inflection of the voice. Oh man, okay, I'm gonna be really brave here. Does anybody, do I have a volunteer? Anybody? You have, okay, excellent. Have you ever heard this song before? Good, okay. I want you to read this, song, this, this stanza out loud to everybody. Just take a minute to look at it. How many of you know what this song is or have heard it? Okay, good. All right, so. I want you to read this, this, the poem, very expressively, okay? Can you do that for me? <laughs> With a nice strong voice? Okay. Go ahead now. The king is coming. The king, king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Good. And the last one? The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. Good job, thank you very much. That was a fantastic, okay. Now check this out. I'm just gonna point out a few things that he did without even knowing it, but the end of coming, what did he do to the end of coming? Coming, it goes down, doesn't it? 
I just heard the trumpet sounding. It's like there's something interesting going on and I heard it. And he doesn't say, I just heard the trumpet sounding. No, it's, I just heard the trumpet sounding. And now his face I see. Check this out. I'm going to play what this actually sounds like, the, the music to it, okay? The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. And now this face I see The King is coming The King is coming Praise God He's coming for me Okay, so what's really interesting is that, how many of you noticed the trumpet in the arrangement? Good, okay, we're gonna get to talking about arranging here in a bit. But that is, oh man, like as an arranger, when I hear that, I'm just like, oh, praise the Lord, that just needed to be there so badly. Okay, so when we, when it, let's just take this last line for example, okay? Praise God, he's coming for me. Why not go, praise God, he's coming for me? Why not? Because someone wanted to emphasize the word coming, okay? So what do you do? They made a minor seventh jump in the, in the line, right? And that, that tensious interval brings tension to the way that, that word is brought across. And it has 100% more power because of it. He's coming for me. And it makes a beautiful cadence to the end of the song. Uh, let me see. Right? And it really gives a satisfying feeling, okay? So that's one example of, of how the melody and the inflection of what you're saying is important to the way you write your melody. Um, now, it's interesting. In general, one of the principles um, is that the end of phrases end with a downward pitch. Because most of the times you don't end the sentence say, you know, how are you doing tonight? It's like, that's kind of, well, if you ask a question, you do, though. That, that is true. I should use a different example. Um, I'm doing well. Like, what? No, I'm doing well. You always inflect down, because that's just naturally how we talk. Even the last sentence I just said, it ends with a downward inflection. Do you hear that? And you're not going to end the phrase and like, yeah, I can't even give an example. It just feels so awkward. You don't do that. And that's the same in songwriting. You don't end a phrase ending up. It just is weird. Like, but, but check this out. We're, I'm going to play an example of Laura Story's Blessings, okay? And the thing is, in Blessings, is she says two phrases. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. You guys know this song, generally? Okay. Now, if I said we pray for blessing, it ends down. Do you hear the downward inflection that I gave it? That's naturally, and we pray for peace. It goes down also. But you know, because you know this song, she doesn't do that. She put, we pray for blessings. Why does it go up? Because the phrase isn't done yet. You wouldn't go down because that's too conclusive. So she gives, she purposely does something that's not normal so that when you sing, we pray for peace, it feels more satisfying, okay? We're just gonna listen to that really quick so you know I'm not just making this up. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, 
comfort for family, protection while we sleep. Okay, you see what I'm talking about? So you can use this, this idea on purpose, okay? Now, another thing to consider is your vocal range. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's kind of important. The, the, the national anthem, like I talked about at the beginning, the national anthem is notoriously horrible for its vocal range. It has an 11 note range in it. And if you ever had to sing it and you started in the wrong key, you really wish you hadn't by the time. Like, you have to start the thing really low in order to get it right, okay? Take, for instance, another song we've just been singing recently, Angels We Have Heard On High. That only has a five note range, and you think, only five notes? Yeah. It only needs five notes to be a song. Like, I'm just being serious. Now, let me be careful. You, don't, you need more than two, okay? <laughs> there are songs that only have two notes for the whole song, and, and it just goes up and down, up and down. That's, I suggest you use a little bit more creativity, but, but, but be careful how much you, you spread your range. And an octave jump, be careful with those. You don't need to do those very often. The, the minor seventh that he did... That's about the most you want to do, and you do that on purpose because you give power to that. But if you jump more than an octave, it's hard for the congregation, and unless you're writing very specifically for a soloist that you know can do that, if you want the congregation to enjoy singing your song, I suggest you try keeping your intervals a little bit smaller, okay? That's just a, a thought. The general vocal range that you want to look for is about an A to an E, and that's it's generally universal through... Um, male and female, although in, in female it's an octave above, okay? But A is it's pretty low for, for like congregational singing, and E, is, you're gonna, you can start to stretch people going past that. So just keep that in mind, make a note of it when you're writing, because honestly, there are so many songs that could have gone places if people had put a little bit more thought into how it's gonna, what it's gonna take to actually sing this song in real life, okay? Now speaking of key, the last thing we're going to talk about is chord progression. Now, chord progression, I'll be honest, is it's the hardest part of this for me because I play mostly by ear, okay? I read notes, very difficult. How many of you read notes only when you're playing piano? Only read notes? Raise them high, raise them high. Excellent. How many of you can not read notes at all on the piano and only play by ear? Good. We have one, two, three. How many of you mostly read by, or play by ear? Okay, good. So I'm among friends, that's good. Um, so it's hard for me to like, explain the, um, like, like the guy said, he jokingly said, you just need first, fifth, minor, sixth, fourth, and one. What does that mean to you? Well, it, it means what he played. That's, that's just like, that's baby chord structure, okay? You don't want, he was being, obviously it was satire, okay? It's, it's, that's, that's, you can do so much more than that, please. So I'm not gonna be able to tell you what chords you should use, and I hope you're not disappointed because you can't, I can't. You need a melody first, the chords follow the melody. You can't like, oh, I'd like to use this chord progression in my song, now how do I make it, the, the melody float on top of that? I don't suggest you do that because honestly, it's gonna have way less power because a chord progression is never used more than once except in praise music, I'm just saying. Okay, praise music, honestly, there's a lot chord progressions that are pretty much exactly the same. And I've honestly, I've heard people singing, like humming a, a, or playing a, a song on the piano, and I'll be singing, like, <laughs> actually, Isaac, he was one classmate in college, and he was playing on the piano one day, a song, and I was in the kitchen, and I was singing words along to it, and I, when I sing it to him, he comes out and he's like, that's not the song I was playing. I was like, what? Yeah, it totally was. Like, it works. And that's the thing, it's like, some of these songs, they're so much alike, it's just almost impossible to separate the two from each other. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if you write a powerful melody, 
it deserves a powerful chord progression, okay? And it can really be strong. So we're just gonna look at a couple principles really quick that you can use to, um, in your writing. First thing is chord influences the mood of the song, big time, okay? If it's a sad song, use sad chords. If it's a happy song, use fast and happy chords, okay? It's really simple, but a lot of times people use sad chords when it's a happy thing. That's the biggest thing. You don't usually find people using happy chords in a sad song because that's just stupid. But honestly, like, people forget, oh, this is a joyful thing, and they're just like doing like, no, 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 it's like, no, but come on. Like this, if it's a happy song, like second coming songs, all the early Advent songs are so upbeat and so happy, the chord structure. Why? Because people were thrilled that Jesus was coming in just a few years. You know what I mean? And guys, what time are we living in? I mean, Jesus is coming soon. If you're gonna write a happy song about Jesus coming, Try not to do it with minor chords, please. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Check out this, the intro to this song. I want you to see how the chords set the mood for this song so amazingly. It makes me want to sleep. Like, I'm just like, oh, it's so relaxing. And that's the point because it's a bedtime prayer. It's so beautiful. The way he just like, the arranger, it's, and that's the thing, guys. We're, we're coming into this arranging part. Arranging of a song has so much to do with how you do it. You can write a song and you can completely change the mood with arranging, but don't if you don't need to. Okay. I'm going to play another song. This is another excerpt from Handel's Messiah. This is, and suddenly what there was of the angel. Okay. This is the way pretty glorious deal going on here. Jesus was born, angels come to the shepherds, they're like, suddenly there was the angel, and they said, glory to God. This is what Andal thought it sounded like. Do you feel like the excitement in that? I love the first bit of it. I'm just gonna play it one more time. I just love it so much. Listen to the listen to the angel wings in the orchestra. It's so cool. Do you hear that? There's like thousands of them. It's like, I don't know, just as a musician, I just like get goosebumps. It's so awesome. Handel tried to write heaven's music, literally. The angels sang glory to God in the highest. Handel's like, we gotta have music for that. Because it's not in the Bible. And so he did it. And and I don't and I think that's so profound. Like, think of it when we get to heaven. I mean, I know this song, and the angels are like, no, 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 this is how it actually went. And, it's, and they sing it, and we're like, oh, snap. We, like, fell so far short. <laughs> Heaven's music is so far beyond us. It's absolutely incredible. And the thing is, the thing is, though, is it brings me to a really interesting point, is that, that is that you can write the Bible. The Bible is powerful lyrics. I don't know if you ever read any psalms lately, but psalms are poetic, I'm just saying. And the thing is, is it's powerful to think of how the Bible lyrics coming to life. Like, I just, I praise the Lord that Handel even tried that, because that's a, that's a, that's a pretty, big, pretty big job. And I think, I think the Lord really blessed him. That whole Messiah he wrote in 24 days. That's crazy. 24 days is like, to write a three-hour piece of music? Are you serious? Like, that's crazy. 
Now, there's one quick thing I'm going to show you about these two songs, and that is how the chords of those two songs I just played, Sinner's Prayer and Hallowed Messiah, are the same. And this is, may be kind of surprising to you. It's not exactly the same. It's a different key and a little bit different rhythm, but, but the basic chord is um, really the same. I'm going to attempt to play. I can't play all the angel wings because that's violins, and violins are awesome, but what I'm going to do... Sorry, that was a little plug for violin. Um, I'm going to play the basic chord progression of the Messiah. You hear, you hear what I'm saying, trying to get it, okay? It takes this chord and it, it lifts it. And then it goes one more time. And then it comes back down to the root. Excuse me. So he basically has the same bass note going the whole time. Oops. I'm going to play it one more time so you can actually see what I'm saying and you can actually believe me, okay? See the bass notes same. The bass note through the whole thing is exactly the same, but he takes on the top, he goes, oh. He lifts the top chord while he has the bass paddle. And it's the same exactly with what Ray Boltz did. I'm gonna play his again really quick. Duh, you hear the bass note and it keeps going. Duh. And that's really interesting to me because there are two people using the same idea but completely different. You're never going to confuse Sinner's Prayer for the Messiah. I'm just telling you right now. And why is that? It's because the way he uses the rhythm. And this brings me to another really important point. Rhythm is important. People are like, oh, I'm going to write an Adventist song that's going to have no rhythm whatsoever. Uh-uh. You better not because it'll go absolutely nowhere. Rhythm is super important. It's excessive rhythm that's distracting and it, has, it brings us to a lot of problems. Rhythm is important, and it changes the mood of the song. These slow chords of um, Ray Bolt's Sinner's Prayer gives a very relaxed mood. Handel, I mean, that was like the most exciting thing that ever happened to Earth, so obviously he's going to get a lot of excitement and rhythm going into that. And so these are, so rhythm can change, drastically change the mood of the song. Now, unfortunately, I have so much exciting stuff to tell you that it's, I'm running out of time, but, but I'm just going to add a, and give a couple more points. We have to skip, oh, we already listened to that. Last thing I'm going to say on the chord, stru chord structure. Oh, I did skip cadences, didn't I? Cadences are an interesting part of chord progression. And basically, there's two major kinds of cadences. There's a perfect cadence and a plagal cadence. If you know any um, music theory, you know that plagal is your amen chord. It's 4-1. Perfect is 5-1. I'll just give you an example of what that looks like. Um, the, the perfect cadence, the 5 to 1, is if you're playing in the key of G, your cadence to the G will be something like this. Five and then one. Okay? That's a very generic ending. You have the five to the one. But if in a lot of, you know, at the end of like, um, oh, this is, there's like some prayer responses that we have in the hymnal. They'll end, instead of being the D to the G, it'll be the C to the G. It's the, what we call the amen cadence, okay? These are two different, two simple cadences. There's a lot more you can, you can do. Some of them are less desirable than others, and that's why they're not used as much. Five to one is mostly used. And like, if you go out and like tonight, during the, during when we sing There's a River, you'll hear the perfect cadence they use all the time. And it's because it's very, a very strong, you build a lot of tension because you have the seven in this chord, and it wants you to go there. Right? And so when you add the 7th to the 5 chord, it naturally pulls to 
I mean, you're not going to go from here to, like, that just doesn't, that nobody wants to hear that. It, this has a specific place it has to go, and that is G, if you want it to resolve. Now, a lot of people are, like, in some modern music, they'll come to the conclusion that I actually don't want to end my song ever. And I'm like, oh, do you not? And the thing is, what they'll do is they'll just kind of go like this, when you really are supposed to go to there, and they just like, and the song ends. And I'm just like, ah, where's the ending? Like, no, there needs to be an ending. Now, here's the thing. We've all heard this kind of music, and sometimes it's super powerful. But not a lot of times, okay? The thing is, the thing is, our bodies are so, so, so symmetrical that we want what, if you start here, you want to end here. And granted, you don't do a key change. And the thing is, is when you don't allow the body to have that conclusion, you're left in this state of, where is it? And the thing is, I can think very, very few, but the times that that's applicable, it's crazy powerful because you, like, there's a song um, that we sang, and the, the ending of it says, and the story never ends, okay? Well, in the vocals, it ends, the vocals end on an unresolved chord because the story never ends. That's what the lyrics say. And so that's, like I said, this, the chord progression follows the melody, and the melody follows the lyrics. Everything is based on the lyrics. Absolutely everything. That's why, that's why words come before music, because if you don't know what you're going to say, how can you write that chord progression that doesn't end knowing that you're not knowing that it's going to say the story never ends at the end of your song? You know what I mean? So that's why the um, so cadences. Five to one, very powerful, very satisfying, okay? The last thing, as you can see, is strong bass. And I don't mean that strong bass is like ripping bass, bass guitar. That's not what I mean. But bass is absolutely so important in any of your music. Check this out. This is one of my favorite chords ever on the piano. It's just two notes. It's bass and a harmony. Is that beautiful or what? It's super satisfying. And it's literally only two notes because that's what's this whole chord, two notes is sitting on a big bass note. If I do that same chord up here, check this out. This is what's going to sound horrible. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sing. Like, I can sing onto this. Lord, you've touched. That has something. But here, if I do it up here, it's like, Lord, you touched. You can't do anything to that because it's just too high. And that's the thing is, if you have a good bass line in your song, and I don't, by a good bass line, some people will say, oh my, I have this epic bass line. It's like, no, that's not a cool bass line. That's just distracting from your lyrics. A good bass line is something that you can follow. And like in his song, Lord, you've touched my heart today. And it goes on and on and on um, with the same bass line. But then when it changes, that is why I've come to pray. It's a lot more powerful because that sustain then is resolved and it changes. And because it, has, because it has a strong bass line, it really, you can follow it and the chord on top can set very easily. The melody, you only almost need, almost, um, understand I said almost, but you almost only need bass and your melody to go together if your bass is really strong. So don't misunderstand me. Like I said, bass can mean, strong bass can mean some different things in different people's minds. But what I mean by strong bass is I mean sustainable and it's present, okay? And that also brings me to orchestrating. When you're arranging or orchestrating a song, any song can sound okay out of the hymnal. I'm gonna take one, one, just bear with me here, I'm gonna play Silent Night, okay? On just like it mostly is from the keyboard, from the hymnal.
Okay, you know that song? Good, okay, <laughs> hope so. Um, but if I'm going to arrange this song, my first thing I'm gonna think about is where is this bass gonna go? Because what happens in the hymnal version is just C, and then G, and then C. C and G, those are the only two things. But if I'm gonna arrange this, I'm, I want, the whole point of arranging is to enhance, okay? I want you to write that down. If you're taking notes, write this down. The point of arranging is to enhance the song. If you do any arranging to a song that distracts from the song, I believe you have failed in arranging that song because your point is not to get in the way of the song. Your point is to make it speak better, okay? So if I arrange Silent Night and it distracts from the words Silent Night, I have failed in, right, in arranging Silent Night. You see what I'm saying? But a simple thing to Silent Night that you can do, I'm gonna add a little arpeggiating stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my chords are gonna be a little bit different. Just check this out, okay? It's still C, but instead of going to G, what if I went to D? Just some simple things in the bass line and chord progression make the song, you f you're following me. I could tell that you didn't want me to stop when I stopped because you're wondering where is this gonna go? Before, you know exactly, you don't need me to tell you how it's gonna end because you know it's gonna go like this. Oh, not that. <laughs> That's how it ends, right? But if I were to end it with an arrangement, it's gonna keep you wondering. You see what I'm saying? And this is not normal, but it wants this so much more badly. You see what I'm saying? So it's just really, really simple things that you can do to the chords that just make it like, whoa, where did that come from? And it makes you rethink a song. I've had to arrange, I'll be honest, my dad, bless his heart, but sometimes he wants to do songs that are like the old songs in the hymnal, you know what I mean? And the songs that like, don't you see my Jesus coming? I'm coming yonder cloud. It's a very upbeat and like exciting song. How do you arrange that? I, I've sat down for many days at the piano. I'm just thinking, Dad, I, I get it. Like we need to do this song. It's super awesome. But how do I how do I arrange that? Because it's lots of stuff's going on, and you don't want to like make an arrangement that gets in the way. I've heard arrangements of the song. I haven't personally arranged that song because I don't have any ideas of how to improve that, okay? And it's not because it's a bad song, it's just, it's a very busy song, and so how do you get in there? Like, the, the deal with Silent Night is it's so open and flowing, there's lots of time to do a lot of crazy stuff to it. And I'll bet you could do too much stuff to it. Little plug, if you wanna hear actually my arrangement of Silent Night, you can go to YouTube, Adam Herald's, I have my arrangement up there, <laughs> you can see it. <laughs> I'm a pretty bad plugger, but. The, the thing that we have to realize is when we're arranging a song, it comes back to this question we started with, why are you, are you writing music? Why are you gonna arrange this song? Because if you're gonna arrange this song to, um, if you're gonna arrange this song to make everyone never forget your arrangement of that song again, then you're gonna arrange it that way. If you're gonna arrange it so that the message of Silent Night is more strong, you're gonna write it that way. That way could be many different things. You understand what I'm saying? So if you never forget why you're writing music, you'll never, ever not know how, what, and when to write your music, okay? Guys, I really, really appreciate you being here.
and enjoying this time with me. I've had so much fun. Let's just have a word of prayer. And if you have any questions, I'm here for a few minutes. I'd like to, the thing is after this, it's kind of hard because I can go into more detail, but unless there's like specific examples, I can kind of waste my time explaining details of like my song. So if you have a song you're working on, an arrangement you're working on, an idea that you're like, man, I just don't even know what to do with this. I'm, I'm happy to talk. I have a piano here. We can, we can hash stuff out. So let's ask the Lord to remind us why we're writing music and help and ask him to help us to really write the music that we're supposed to be writing. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for music. Thank you so much for creating it for us. And I just pray that as we, as we go our separate ways and as we go as musicians to write and perform and, and sing music, that you would, you would be with us, that you would bless our music. Lord, if there's songs that need to be written that haven't been written, I pray that you would impress that upon our minds and our hearts or on our friends' minds to write the lyrics. Lord, I pray that we can be in heaven and we can meet people that are there because they heard our songs. Thank you so much for this time together and I pray that you'd bless these young people as they go their separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.